This is Can You See What I See? I'm your host, James Corderay, and today we are going to be talking about Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition rules. Specifically, we will be focusing on combat, because combat is something that comes up a lot in Dungeons & Dragons games. Now, I'm still learning the 5th Edition rules. I only just recently got the 5th Edition Player's Handbook myself. So, I wanted to clear up a couple of things for my players as we're going forward. If any of this information is helpful to you, then great. If not, thank you for listening anyway. I do appreciate it. Let's go ahead and dive on in. First thing I wanted to talk about is terrain. Something that my players in previous games have never really paid attention to, but I think that 5th edition has a super easy way of handling. If you are in any kind of difficult terrain your movement speed is halved. So each extra foot you want to move takes an extra foot of your total movement. Movement in 5th edition is handled a little differently than it was in 3rd edition, which is where we left off. Well, 3.5 and Pathfinder. You see, in those versions, you had a move action. And you could take that move action and then you could do a regular action or you could do a full attack action or something like that. In 5th edition, you can move your whole speed in the 6 seconds or so that you've got to do that, which is great, because you can move, attack, and then move again. In difficult terrain, you could move, attack, and then move back. So if you needed to move forward 15 feet, you could do that but then if it's difficult terrain, you'd be out of moves. So if you had to move forward 10 feet and then back 5 feet, you'd be fine. You can also mix and match movement, which is great. If you have fly speed and a walking speed, they, they mix. So you can move, if you had a fly speed of 30 feet and a move speed of 10 feet, you could move 10 feet and then fly an additional 20 feet or 30 feet of move and 60 feet of fly, you could move 30 feet and then fly an additional 30 feet. You always take the amount you've moved and subtract it from the number you've already done. So if you've flown 40 feet and land, you can't walk anymore. <clears throat> and I think that that is important and useful in this game. Now, let's dive right into the meat of this piece, which will be attacking. So let's dive into the meatiest piece of combat, and that is the attack. And by that I mean the actions that you can perform during combat are a lot different than they were in 3 and 3.5. Now, I can't comment on 4th edition. I never played 4th edition. But I will point out some of the differences that I've seen from 3 slash 3.5 to 5th edition. And I really like 5th edition. If you were a 3.5 player, that's, that's what I grew up playing. You should love what they've done with 5th edition. Unless you were a loot and stats person in which case Pathfinder is the game for you because it is primarily focused on loot and skills and min-maxing your character. So 
If you like min-maxing, go with Pathfinder. If you like story, 5th edition should be right up your alley. So, obviously, there are certain things you can do in 5th edition, and one of those is attack uh, during combat. Unlike 3rd and 3.5, characters only have a bonus to attack once, unless they get a, a skill or a bonus ability that gives them extra attacks. They only get one attack per turn, which is great. Even an expert fighter shouldn't have to get a plus 20 to attack at level 20. There's been a great discussion about how to handle 20, plus 20 attacks. A 20th level fighter might still be pressed by 15 orcs showing up against him in 5th edition. Where in 3 and 3.5, he could hang out with them for an hour and not take any damage because there was no way they'd be able to hit him. So... This brings a little more realism into the idea of the world, you know. Skill is involved, but you don't have these massive characters. There's a feature called Dash, which gives you extra movement every turn. Um, it increases your speed by double. So if you had a base speed of 30, you can move up to 60 feet on your turn if you dash. Um, so it, if your character needs to move very quickly from one portion of the map to another, they can use a dash move instead of a regular move. Now, when you take an action on your turn, you can take one action. There's no free actions, no move actions, no standard actions, no full actions. There, There's just one action per turn. So if you take a dash, you can't attack. Uh, which is important. I, I think it, it's going to reduce a lot of the complexity of trying to figure out how you can get stuff done in combat. One of the things that I've seen new players struggle with is everything that they can do in combat for 3rd and 3.5 and Pathfinder. And I get questions all the time, like, well, can I do this, this, and this? Well, no, you can't do that because of this. Or, yes, you can do that, but then what else are you going to do because you still have a partial action left or a move equivalent action left? You know, you only took a standard action. So, I like the simplification that you can do just one action, and that's it. If you plan to move into or out of combat with an opponent, you can disengage. Disengaging allows you to move freely about the battlefield without causing attacks of opportunity. You don't get to do anything else other than your standard 30 feet, 20 feet, 60 feet of move speed, whatever that is. But you won't cause attacks of opportunity. <clears throat> you can take a dodge action. Now, dodge used to be a feat, and it would allow you to to determine one opponent on the battlefield, apply your dodge bonus to them, and you'd get a plus one to your armor class against that opponent. Now, I don't know any DM that ever used it that way. It was just a permanent plus one to your AC. 
in this, whenever you take a dodge action, you can't attack. You're just focusing entirely on not getting hit. So whenever your opponent makes their attack roll, they roll with disadvantage. I'm going to go over what disadvantage is later, but remember, if you take a dodge action, your opponent gets a disadvantage. You could also help a player, another character, NPC, what have you, during your turn. Uh, when you take the help action, the creature you aid gains advantage on the next ability check it makes to perform the task you are helping with, provided that it, it makes the check before the start of your next turn. So, last time we played, my players tried to... They tried to heal one of the other players who had fallen ill. And by ill, I mean he was bleeding. And I incorrectly made them roll dice to see if they could get advantage on it. That's not the way this works. If you declare help as your action for the turn, the other person gets advantage. And that's that. That also works if your friend is attacking an opponent. So not only with a skill check, but with an attack as well. You can feint, distract a target, uh, team up. Um, if the ally attacks before your next turn, or takes the action before your next turn, they get advantage, and that's that. So it's a very easy way to make sure that you are playing cooperatively with the other people at the table. Nobody's going to shine if everyone's working together. That's not to say your character won't stand out. You just won't have people who are feeling like they aren't contributing. Because even a character that can't hit the guy can come up and he can distract him while your character is pummeling him. During combat, you can also take a hide action. There's a dexterity check involved with that. We can go over the rules of that some other time but you can take a hide action during combat to hide yourself from your opponent. You could also ready an action. That was available in 3 and 3.5 and Pathfinder as well. But readying an action just puts you at the top of the initiative order for the next turn. I'm going to read you the text of Readying from 5th edition player's handbook here so we can go over it. Sometimes you want to get the jump on a foe or wait for a particular circumstance before you act. To do so, you can take the ready action on your turn so that you can act later in the round using your reaction. First, you decide what perceivable circumstance will trigger your reaction. Then, you choose the action you will take in response to the trigger, or you choose to move up to your speed in response to it. Examples include, if the cultist steps on the trapdoor, I'll pull the lever that opens it, and if the goblin steps next to me, I move away. When the trigger occurs, you can either take your reaction right after the trigger finishes, or ignore the trigger. Remember that you can take only one action per round. When you ready a spell, you cast it as normal, but hold its energy, which you release with your reaction when the trigger occurs. To be ready, a spell must have a casting time of one action 
and holding on to the spell's magic requires concentration. And that's explained in chapter 10. We'll deal with that some of the time. So, in combat, if someone charges through a door, you can say, okay, I'm, if someone charges through that door, I'm going to let loose an arrow, or I'm going to fire a magic missile. Alright, so you cast a spell, you ready your arrow, the door opens, and BAM! Your spell goes off, your arrow flies free. I like this version of readying. It makes your players more involved in the game. It makes them think things out better. You can also search, which is pretty self-explanatory. Depending on what you're looking for, you may have to make a check. Or use an object. Um, you normally interact with an object while doing something else. When an object requires your action for its use, you take the use an object action. That's basically if you have to pull a lever or something like that, that's the use an, ob an object action. Spellcasters, of course, can cast spells as per normal. Attacking works like this. You choose a target, determine any modifiers. The DM determines whether the target has cover and whether you have advantage or disadvantage against the target. Then the attack resolves. You make the attack roll on a hit, you roll damage unless the particular attack has a rule that specifies otherwise. There are ability modifiers and proficiency modifiers uh, that get added into each attack roll. The proficiency bonus is a bonus that your character gets to class skills, which are very few, and attack bonuses. Just like in previous versions of D&D, if you roll a 1, you miss. If you roll a 20, it's an automatic hit with a possibility of a critical. Oh, no, wait. I misread that. If the d20 roll for an attack is a 20, the attack hits regardless of any modifiers or the target's armor class. In addition, the attack is considered a critical hit, so there's no more confirming a critical hit. It is automatically a critical hit. There are not critical misses in D&D 5th edition, so there's no possibility of you swinging and losing your sword. As in previous versions of D&D, attacks of opportunity exist. They seem to work the same way. Whenever someone moves into or out of an area that you are threatening, which is the fi a five-foot square in front of you, you may take an attack of opportunity. As I said earlier, if you are using the disengage action, you don't provoke an attack of opportunity. You also do not provoke an attack of opportunity when you teleport or when someone or something moves you without using your movement action or reaction. So if someone knocks into you, you don't provoke an attack of opportunity.
If you intend to grapple with someone, it is a strength athletics check countered by the target's strength athletic or strength dexterity or, or sorry dexterity acrobatics check. The target chooses which ability to use. If they're dexterous, they're going to wiggle away. If they're strong, they're going to try and fight you. When you move, if you are in a grapple and you have controlled the grapple, you can move the creature with you, but your speed is halved. So if you're walking and you have a hold of someone and your normal base speed is 30, it's 15. If you're moving through difficult terrain, it's 5. Because we round down. This is Dungeons and Dragons. Escaping a grapple is easy. You just wiggle free using dexterity athletics or strength acrobatics. Sorry, I got those backwards. Strength acrobatics. I cannot talk. Strength athletics or dexterity acrobatics. This is a special attack action. Another attack action is shoving a creature. They cannot be more than one size larger than you, so if you're small, it would have to be medium. If you're medium, it would have to be large. If you're large, it could be huge. If you're huge, it could be gargantuan. Again, you make a strength athletics check versus a strength athletics or dexterity acrobatics check. A target with half cover gets a plus two bonus to their AC and dexterity saving throws. A target with three quarters cover gets a plus five bonus to AC and dexterity saving throws. And a target with total cover cannot be hit. Uh, spells can reach them if they include the area that the person is in, so long as that area is somehow open. Damage rolls work just as they did before. Critical hits allow you to roll extra dice. There are special types of damage. Those seem to work the same. Something that did change is dropping to zero hit points. When you drop to zero hit points, you either die outright or fall unconscious, as explained in the following sections. Instant death. Massive damage can kill you instantly. When damage reduces you to zero hit points and there is damage remaining, you die if the remaining damage equals or exceeds your hit point maximum. So if you have 10 hit points at first level and you're at one hit point and someone does 12 points of damage to you, you instantly die. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you are knocked below zero hit points and it does not kill you immediately, you fall unconscious. The unconsciousness ends if you regain any hit points. Now, just regaining hit points will not bring you back above zero, but it can uh, it can stop you from dying and bleeding out. There is something now called a death saving throw. There's a 50% chance that you will get worse or you will start to stabilize. Roll a d20. If the roll is 10 or higher, 
you have succeeded. So I guess it's 4555. A success or a failure has no effect on its own. You're looking for three of one or three of the other. If you roll three successes, you become stable. These do not have to be in a row. You can roll a success, failure, success, failure, success, and still be stable. If you fail three times, your character dies. If you roll a one, it counts as two failures. So if you roll a one and then you roll a five, your character is dead. However, if you roll a 20, you automatically gain one hit point, and that saves you from bleeding out anymore. So a 1 is two failures, a 20 gives you a hit point back, which stops you from having to roll anymore. If you are at zero or below hit points, you are stable, assuming you're not making death saving throws, but you will remain unconscious until your hit points go above one. One thing a DM might want to consider doing is instead of immediately dropping a character dead at zero hit points, one of the main villains of the story is to let them stabilize without telling your players. Just something to keep in mind. If you want to knock a character out but you do not want to kill them you may at the moment they would fall unconscious and start bleeding out choose to only drop them to zero and knock them unconscious this is a player made choice so the minute it happens they can choose that action the only other thing I would like to talk about is inspiration Inspiration points can be given out by the DM for following any of the following characteristics in a game. If a player plays their personality trait, ideals, bonds, or flaws particularly well, a DM may wish to reward them with inspiration points. In my sessions, if you play each of your pieces well, you can gain up to one inspiration point a piece. These inspiration points can be used to gain advantage for the player, which allows them to roll a second d20 and take the higher of the two rolls. Disadvantage, on the other hand, for a player makes them roll 2d20s and take the lowest score. This system rewards players for playing their characters well, but it does not give them 
an outrageous bonus. It's not like handing them a magic item. It's giving them a free reroll, basically. That's what I've got for combat. Uh, I would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. Uh, you can find us online at www.entwinedstudios.com. My name is James Cordray, and on behalf of me, my players, and our small business Kiwi Trail hostings, www.kiwitrails.com, that's Kiwi with a Q, thank you for listening, and until next time, play on.